Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today, I want to talk about earning money from freelancing. The side gig economy is the real deal. And there are actually some people making big, big money being their own boss. Also, the credit card companies are getting desperate and making offers you need to know about. Even if you have no credit score, you may be in a better position than you think. So there's a brilliant personal finance writer named Kathy Kristoff, who has a website called SideHustle.com, which is spelled really odd, Side H-U-S-T-L, I think, dot com. Anyway, Kathy has been writing about how much money people with specific skills that are in a deep, need in the marketplace right now are making doing gig work and i've talked about how even uh so i misspelled it side hustle s-i-d-e-h-u-s-l.com so traditional side hustles like uber and lyft and other things where you're working for someone else are paying significantly more than they were before But this isn't those kind of things. These are things where you have a particular technical skill or ability that people need a lot of right now that what you can make is a great deal more than what you could have made pre-pandemic. And so if you are allowed, if you have a specialized skill, technical one, an art one, whatever, If you have a specialized skill where you work for someone, but you're not under any kind of non-compete that allows you to pick up extra income doing jobs on the side, this is a great time to do that. If you only like working for yourself and you don't want to work for someone else and be your own boss, the time is really great again if you have specialized skills because the skills shortage in the job market right now is extraordinarily high and we have in america right now a tremendous opportunity if we can get our act together on playing a match game and getting people the skills they need for what are often referred to by economists as middle skilled jobs those that don't require a degree but require a specific level of training and knowledge in a skill set, the opportunities and the pay levels are wonderful right now. 
So think it through. You know, we often get in our own heads that what we know how to do is this, that, or the other, and that's it. There may be a lot of opportunity for you to expand your career choices and your income opportunities by skilling up in a particular area. If you already have a skill, you may be able to bid up what you can earn doing that skill. Krista? All right, James in North Carolina says, we recently rented a car at Logan Airport in Boston. The rental company had a rule for tolls where you could either pay $11.99 per rental day for use of the toll tag, all inclusive of any tolls charged, or not use their installed toll tag and pay a $6 per toll service fee on top of the actual toll for each toll. I do not believe it is possible to leave and return Logan without passing through a toll booth. I've rented cars several times at Logan and have never seen this fee charged before. The toll is $1.75 for the Ted Williams Tunnel, which now has a $6 fee attached to it. So, Krista, you lived in Boston for years. Yeah, renting a car there has never been cheap. But isn't there one route where you go north towards, is it Lowell, that you go that you can avoid? I forget what the the little X is called, but yes. I think there's one way out. But the chance that anybody renting a car is going to know that is near zero. And I got ripped off on a toll like this when I was in um, Tidewater, Virginia. And I was going to a funeral and had to pay this exorbitant fee like you did for a toll on top of the toll reader fee or toll collection fee on top of the toll and it is an abuse and it it is something where with my gps when i rent a car if they have one of these things set up where you lose either way i use google nav to avoid tolls and that way as much as possible i'm able to avoid the ripoff charge Now, there's another thing people were doing that now has become really hard to do, and that's where you buy a multi-state toll reading device that you take with you when you travel, but now you have to change the plate number or tag number every time you use it, so it adds an additional complexity to your car rental experience, but it is a way that you may be able to save quite a bit of money. Mary in Minnesota says, I parked my car on the lower level of a parking ramp. A pipe burst overnight and my car was flooded. I do not have comprehensive insurance on my car, so I could make no claim on my personal insurance. My car is inoperable, yet almost three months later, I've been offered no compensation. The ramp representative says they are working with their two insurance companies, but he feels this is not going to be covered. What recourse do I have? Mary, you're going to have to sue. In a case like this, I mean, what an odd, terrible set of circumstances that you would end up in a parking deck where your car would end up being flooded in such a way. In winter in Minnesota. Yeah, this is this is bad ugly. So you need to see what the limits are on you going after the parking deck or parking lot in small claims court in Minnesota. You can easily find that online 
if you look, you can find out what the limits are and you file suit against them. If you can't afford to hire a lawyer, if you're past the limits, you sue for the max you're allowed to in the state of Minnesota in small claims court. And I will tell you that often with these things, there's something called diffusion responsibility. There's multiple parties involved, the insurers and all that. And they just try to outlast people and try to bully people. You fight back by suing in small claims court where your odds of success rise significantly in a case like this where you were clearly harmed, no doubt. Johnny in Utah says, I recently had my credit card locked due to my wife attempting to add it to her Apple wallet. When I called in to clear up the issue, they asked for my name and security word, which I gave. I was then told I needed to complete one more verification step by providing a cell number that they could text a security code to. They said they could not use my cell phone number, which is associated with the account. They asked if I had a different cell phone they could text a code to. I ended up giving them my wife's cell phone number to complete the verification, but what I don't get is how texting any random cell phone is secure. My wife's number is not on my account with that bank. What's the deal? How is that a secure way to verify my identity? All right, so let's just call this out, Johnny. We're talking about the City Double Cash Card, and City has a reputation of being the quickest to uh, shut down charging access of any issuer in the United States. And it's a big problem if the only credit card or cards you have are issued by Citibank because you could find yourself high and dry. If you had, let's say you had two different cards from Citibank, you might find yourself somewhere where you can't use either. The weirdness of them having you just give them some other random number to send a text to is beyond idiotic. And I can't explain at all why someone at City would think that was a good idea. But the locking problem with the Citibank cards is something I hear frequently from people. And it's just a hazard of doing business with Citibank visas of any kind. Tanya in Connecticut says, Clark, I'm a new listener and I'm so glad I found your podcast. I currently have term life insurance and a universal variable life insurance policy. After listening to one of your podcasts, I realized universal life insurance is not the way to go. However, I'm concerned about canceling it because my term life insurance is only 30 years and will be over by the time I'm 55 years old. I'm 36 now and 55 seems too young to be without any life insurance. Is it smart to cancel my variable and buy another term life insurance? Is that even a possibility? What are my options? So when you buy a variable universal life insurance policy, you bought something that is kind of like a tiger by the tail. They are a mess. But canceling it, as you said, may or may not even be the right idea. There may be multiple alternatives that would be a better idea. Um, first, on the issue of your term expiring when you're 55, I want to tell you how fantastic it is you bought a term policy when you're 25. Very few people think about doing that. Uh, actually, in your case, what you could do if you're in good health at 36 is you could buy another level term insurance policy that would carry you to age 66, either as a supplement to the one you bought 11 years ago 
or as a replacement for the one you bought 11 years ago. And then you know you have coverage through your working lifetime. But on that variable universal life, you've sunk a lot of money into it over the time you've had it. I want you to know about a service of a nonprofit organization, the Consumer Federation of America, has a service called EvaluateLifeInsurance.org, where you can pay an insurance actuary to evaluate your exact policy for your situation and figure out what the best thing is for you to do with it. Keep it, convert it to a different form of insurance if that's available inside your contract, or do as you said, just cancel the policy. Don't make that decision without having it properly evaluated. Again, the website I want you to go to is evaluatelifeinsurance.org. The cost of having the policy evaluated will be uh, hundred-something dollars. Well worth it to do it. And coming up next, have you been receiving more credit card offers than usual, whether they're from City or somebody else? The game for credit cards has changed, and I'm going to tell you how to use it to your big benefit. And by the way, you might even have the ability to get a credit card now with no credit score at all. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The credit card business is in uh, real turmoil right now. And the reason is something I shared with you recently. Americans have been paying down their credit card balances in record amounts. The amount of outstanding credit card debt has fallen by an unbelievable overall credit card debt in the United States. It's fallen by an unbelievable 26% over the last year. Many people who had credit card balances who kept their jobs through the pandemic found they had more money because they weren't eating out like they were before, they weren't traveling, all the kind of expenses that normally they'd run up on a credit card weren't there. They found themselves with more money than they had had before and in large numbers used it to pay down credit card balances. With the fuel for the bank's charging you massive interest rates on unpaid credit card balances and the cost of funds to the bank that lends you money on a credit card at 17% or so, their cost of funds right now is below 1%. I mean, what a business to be in. Defaults on credit cards are tiny right now, so credit cards are a license to steal. Unfortunately for the credit card companies, they're not stealing as much as they'd like right now. So for people with really great credit scores or people who traditionally have had reward cards, you're going to see a steady parade of better and better offers. The offers have gotten to be really great. We just wrote a review on Clark.com of a hotel credit card that if you do it just right, you could actually get just with your initial sign-up bonus 
as many as 10 free hotel nights. I mean, amazing for a $95 annual fee ending up with 10 free hotel nights. Now, you only get 10 nights if you stay in the low-end hotels at off-peak times, but typically, even if you weren't that careful, you'd still get four free nights just for signing up. And that's the kind of thing that's going on right now with reward cards either in the travel business or those that involve cash reward cards or other forms of reward cards if you typically ignore those mailers pay attention to them right now because the offers coming in may be so good that you'd be doing a disfavor to your wallet if you did not disservice to your wallet if you didn't open them up and here's a really crazy thing bloomberg reports that several banks are cooperating on a new database to evaluate people and offer credit cards to people who have what are called thinner nose. These are people who don't have enough on a credit report to generate a credit score at all. And right now, historically, the banking business treats you as a non-entity, a non-person. But the number of people who have thinner nose now is over 50 million American adults. And so that's a big fat target if I'm a bank. If I can come up with ways that I feel comfortable, that I can really figure out who among those people who have a thinner nose are people who might actually be a very good credit risk even not using a traditional FICO score to decide. And so the banks are developing a database to send solicitations for traditional credit cards, not secured, traditional credit cards, to people who are evaluated on things that have only been experimental for the last uh, three, four years, where you're evaluated based on how you pay your regular bills each month. By the way, one kiss of death from what I've read about this is if you bounce checks on a checking account, that's the thing that will put you in a penalty box that you cannot get past for these thin or no offers. All right, Clark, speaking of that, Nikki in New Hampshire has a question. I recently started a new job where I will be traveling for work, both flying and driving. I'm in the process of rebuilding my credit, so not quite eligible to charge my trips on rewards credit card. I opened a new card, but the limit is low. What tips do you have for managing these expenses that are later reimbursed? So this is an interesting question because when people are going back into the workplace traveling for work, you're going to have a need with a lot of employers to put expenses on your own card waiting for a reimbursement from your employer later. And how are you going to lay out all that cash when you have a tiny credit limit card? And what you're going to need to look at in your circumstance is doing a credit card with a credit union where your limit is based on how much money you have in savings. And that will create a base for you of savings available to you for the unexpected. And at the same time, you'll be able to have a limit large enough 
that you'll be able to charge your various travel expenses awaiting reimbursement from your employer. And we're seeing more and more offers available in the market, including one I talked about just last week on the podcast, where you're able to have a a version of a secured card where you on your own are able to adjust what your limit is based on how much you put into savings at a particular time. And Kate in Texas says, if you buy a house with cash, does it change Clark's 10-year rule? If you buy a house with cash, what we're talking about with the 10-year rule is that home prices have moved up at rates way beyond normal in the last few years. And so we know that what happens is that when something goes up far more than normal for a period of time, there is a period of correction that comes at some point. And so you reduce the risk of owning a home when you own it in a longer cycle. The 10-year rule is based on the expenses involved in buying a home and the expenses involved in selling a home. If you finance a house out of your own pocket, in other words, there's no loan, you reduce a lot of the expenses involved in buying a home. So yeah, it would, it would make the equivalent trimming back to like an eight-year or even a traditional seven-year ownership cycle instead of the 10. And um, Paula in Georgia wants to know, storage facilities are constantly changing their monthly rate. How do you keep from getting suckered into selecting one at a good rate and then they raise the rate right away? Paula, the thing that protects you from that is competition in the area. Yes, I've actually had complaints from people who signed up on a special and then as soon as they moved their stuff in, it seemed like a blink later, they got a big rent increase. Uh, If you're in an area where storage facilities are highly competitive, then they're not as likely to do that because they'd be too worried. You're going to say, oh, well, I'm just pack my stuff up and go down the road. You also can see if you can negotiate a fixed monthly rate for a period of time as part of your lease. And it depends on the facility whether they will do a fixed rate in return for you instead of renting month to month, rent for a longer period of time. And Ryan in Washington says, I've been listening to you since I was about 10 because you were always on the radio on my way home from school. It's paid off. Now I'm 20 and I'm putting myself through school and working full time. I actually have some money saved and I'm unsure what to do with it. I just took control of my previous employer's 401k by rolling it into a Fidelity IRA. I can save about $2,500 a month. What should I be doing? Thanks, Clark. You've been an inspiration financially and personally. Well, congratulations to you on living so far below your means while you're in school, working full-time and going to school, and you have a surplus $2,500 a month. So if the job you're working at full-time has a 401k, then you want to contribute in it to the max you can every month. And by the way, you mentioned that you took your former employer's 401k and rolled it into a Fidelity IRA. I think I'd use some of that surplus $2,500 a month to pay the tax bill on converting that Fidelity IRA from a traditional to a Roth. There's a great advantage to you having that money at age 20 grow all through the decades where you've already 
paid the tax bill on it. So everything in that Fidelity IRA converted to a Roth would grow tax-free and be spent tax-free eventually. Um, with the 2500 you obviously are limited to 6000 a year in a Roth IRA. So that would take up just six of the 30000 that you're saving. If you don't have access to a 401k, then at Fidelity, why don't you open a Fidelity investment account in addition to the IRA and put money in the Fidelity uh, total is broad market total market zero total market index fund half of it the other half in the zero international index fund where you're paying no commissions and no ongoing management fees and the tax treatment is so favorable in an index fund that it would be the next best thing that I could recommend to you putting money in tax sheltered accounts like a Roth IRA tax-free actually and if you do have a 401k where you work again i want you in the roth flavor which about two-thirds of employers now offer in addition to traditional and i want to thank you for joining us please visit clark.com and clarkdeals.com for more money saving advice you can trust